0: Yeah, that, <laughs> I don't think we deserve that. I mean, no. I, I, say, I say that on purpose. I want to talk to you today about what we deserve. Have you ever been mistreated by somebody? Have you ever been wrongfully accused? Have you ever gotten consequences that you didn't earn? And you made the statement, I didn't deserve that. As parents, sometimes your kids might say that. Well, I didn't deserve that. Especially when something bad or wrong is done toward them or they're punished or disciplined. They may say, well, I don't think I deserve that. Or our culture tells us what? That we deserve whatever we want. We deserve... To be happy, we deserve equal pay, and we deserve a lot of different things. We have right. Yeah, we, we deserve that. I want to ask you this morning, I want you to think about what do you deserve? And I know that some of you have been here long enough where you know the answer that I'm looking for. I'm not asking you to, to shout it out. But I want you to think about this morning the somberness of a God who knows what we deserve. And that's the way that I want to approach this message this morning. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be reading Romans chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. And I want you to think about through this whole message, I want you to think about through this whole discourse this morning about what you deserve. If you would stand with us as we read the Bible together. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Let me pray. God, the hardest truths are sometimes the clearest truths but that doesn't make them any easier. I pray that this morning that through the power of your Spirit that you would speak and be heard, that you would be heard clearly, that you would be seen clearly, and that we would know what we deserve. And that we would know chiefly, God, what you deserve. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We are almost three quarters of the way through the book of Romans And we're in chapter 11 which I said last week if you'll remember it's just hard Some of you saw chapter 9 is very hard Some of you probably saw chapter 10 is very hard I, Those are hard chapters but I really think this chapter, chapter 11 is the hardest in the book so many things that could be taken the wrong way, so many things that could be misconstrued, so many things that we're just unsure of. And, and I'm going to tell you this, we're going to get through chapter 11 and we're still going to have a lot of questions. So if you're, if you're looking for something, if you think you deserve to have this all tied up in a nice bundle by the time we get done with chapter 11, I'm sorry. Uh, it's not going to be. It's, it, you're, I hope, and this is a, an odd, odd statement, I'm sure, I hope that you have more questions than answers when we finish chapter 11. Why do I hope that? Because it's going to drive you back to the person of God. It's going to drive you back to the people of God. And it's going to drive you back to the Word of God for clarification. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Is that we just don't do a flyover of these passages and you never touch them again. You never think about them again. But I pray it drives you back. What Did he really say that in chapter 11, verse 7? Let me think about that. Let me look at the cross-references. Let me talk to some people. Let me listen to some different messages by some different people. Let me do some research. That's what I want for you. That's why I say, and I, I do hope we have some answers. I hope you can say, okay, I see what's going on. But I do hope that you have more questions than answers. So let's start in verse 7 today. Four, four verses today. But <laughs> there's a lot of stuff here. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hard. Now let me just ask you this, real quick: How does that make you feel? And I'm, I'm not trying—I'm not using like weird therapy, social worky stuff on you. I'm just asking you: <laughs> When you read this? How does it make you feel? Thinking about what you deserve, what you don't deserve, what the elect deserved, what the rest who were hired and what they deserved. That ain't fair. It can make you feel like that ain't fair and so-and-so didn't deserve this. And, and you're right. What then? So when you When you start a verse or a sentence with a paragraph with the statement, what then? What have we got to do? We've got to look back like we always do, hopefully. We look back to last week to get the context of what's going on. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 6 of Romans chapter 11. And we saw there that Paul was trying to make clear that not all ethnic Israel was saved, but not all of them were rejected either. He said there's a remnant that was chosen by grace and since it is by grace, it's not of works. And he gave the example of who? Do you remember? Elijah. Elijah. And Elijah thought he was the only one left, and they're trying to kill him. So basically, he's, he's feeling like a dodo bird, right? He's fighting extinction. God, there's nobody left that loves you. There's nobody else who's seeking you. I'm the only one left, and they're going to kill me, and then what? Then your lamp is going to be extinguished. Your flame is going to be snuffed out. And then what, God? It's all up to me. And God said, no. It's not all up to you, Elijah. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee nor kissed Baal. I have kept for myself. And they were a remnant chosen by grace. They were not a remnant who made their robes white by doing what they think they should do. It was a remnant of 7,000 people that God had chosen by grace. So... The remnant was there, the remnant was chosen by grace, but it was only a remnant which I did the math, by the way. <laughs> we said that if Israel was a million people in the Exodus, and they were at least at least two million by the time of Elijah, which they were probably more than that. But if there were only 7,000 true believers left in Israel out of those two, if it was two million people, that's .35 percent of the population. Not 35%, 0.35%. So that's 0.003... Oh, sorry, let me do it your way. 0.0035. That's the percentage of people who were true believers in Israel at the time of Elijah. 0.0035%. That ain't much, y'all. But there was a remnant. God had preserved for Himself a remnant. That's what we looked at last week. So now we see in verse 7 what the outcome of this is for those who were not chosen by grace. What then? If that was the case, if there was a remnant chosen by grace, a very small remnant, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now Israel here refers to the nation Israel, ethnic Israel, physical Israel. And Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. National Israel, secluded and separated from the world by their own doing, by the way, failed to obtain what it was seeking. And what was it seeking, precious? You can't help but say that when you say stuff like that. (laughs) What was Israel seeking? Let me go back to Romans 10 verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So what was Israel seeking? To establish their own righteousness. And we see here back in Romans eleven seven 7, that they failed to obtain what they were seeking. Israel was seeking were trying to establish their own righteousness. They were trying to find a way. They were trying to make a way to be right with God on their own. And our verse makes it clear that they failed to obtain that. They did not find a way to be right with God by doing things their way. They did not, nor could they establish a righteousness of their own. Why? Wouldn't wouldn't they deserve that if they were trying real hard and doing the best they could? wouldn't they deserve to be declared righteous if they kept the law as good as they could? Well, no, because if you have been here any amount of time and heard anything from chapters 1 through 10 of Romans, it's that righteousness is achieved one way. And what is that one way? We are declared righteous. We are justified by by grace through faith. There's only one way that anybody ever has been saved and been declared righteous. Salvation by grace through faith. And we actually spent the whole second point of our outline of Romans discussing justification by faith, the means for being right with God. And hopefully, if I've learned anything, if you've learned anything from our time in Romans, it's that we can't be right with God by anything we do or say or try. You cannot be right with God by anything that you do in your own efforts. You do not deserve to be declared righteous because of your efforts. Period. We are saved. We are justified by grace through faith. We've mentioned it multiple times. Don read it again this morning. Which again, it's just (laughs) Ephesians 2, right? You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, the gift of God. Well, I've got to accept the gift. No. Be careful. So that no one may boast. Mm. Saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. So any effort that Israel put forth to try to save themselves is wasted effort. It's pointless striving. Now how frustrated do you get when you really work for something and you don't obtain it? You don't get it. Somebody's going to lose the Super Bowl tonight. Remember the old ABC Wide World of Sports? Anybody remember that? The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Gets pretty frustrating when you don't get what you think you deserve. You've worked real hard, and I mean, on, 32 teams in the NFL, two of them making the Super Bowl. Maybe they both deserve to win, right? Tell that to the people that win tonight. Hmm. So Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, Israel failed to obtain righteousness by their own efforts. So what does that mean? Does that mean that no one obtained righteousness? If Israel, the race of people, hand chosen by God to be His representatives in the world, could not or did not achieve righteousness by their striving, did not obtain salvation, then who did? Who can? Look at the next part of verse 7. The elect obtained it. gum. there's that word again. The elect obtained it. Israel did not obtain righteousness, but the elect obtained it. Now who were the elect? Well, That's a tough one. The elect are the remnant. We referenced them last week. The 7,000 people typified the remnant who are chosen by grace. God kept them for Himself, chose them for Himself by grace. Now, I'm not saying that those 7,000 were the only ones who were elect in all of Israel's history, but in that time period, in Elijah's time, they were an example of the elect. A portion of national ethnic Israel was the elect. Even going all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like we looked at in chapter was elect. Jacob was elect, and after that, some of the bloodline of Abraham was elect, but not all of them. And in America this democratic republic, we have a definite idea of what election means. But here in the the Bible, in Romans, God elects and it's a whole different ballgame. God doesn't have an electoral college. God doesn't take a majority vote. Well actually He does take a majority vote and it's a vote of one. He casts not just the deciding vote He casts the only vote. If the elect are elect, it's because God elected them. If the elect are elect, it's because God chose them. Now we referenced this last week when we said that the remnant was chosen by grace. God in His grace chose some to be saved. That's election. He chose 7,000 people in Israel at the time of Elijah. That's election. Chosen by grace. There was no campaigning. There was no stumping or performing. Passing out leaflets and pins and vote for me, God. No, The elect obtained it. The exact same Greek word that we looked at last week for chosen is the exact same Greek word for elect. We looked at it last week. I'm going to read it again. This is what the word elect means seven times in the New Testament. The authorized version translates as election six times and chosen once. Chosen was last week. Election this time. It's it's literally election. The election obtained it. The act of picking out and choosing. The act of God's free will by which before the foundation of the world He decreed His blessings to certain persons. The decree made from choice by which He determined to bless certain persons through Christ by grace alone. A thing or person chosen, God's elect. Now again, that's just about as clear as it gets. Israel failed to obtain righteousness by their own efforts. The elect, the chosen, the people set apart by God's electing choice, however, obtained it. They were made right with God. How? By God. By grace. And the elect that Paul is referring to, back in Romans eleven seven. 7 is a part of ethnic Israel that were true believers who were chosen by God and saved by His grace. They were not just earthly Israelites, they were part of the Israel of God. They obtained righteousness by grace through faith and they were surely, there were surely, non-ethnic Israelites who obtained it. People like Rahab, people like Ruth who weren't born in the bloodline of Abraham but who proselytized and became true believers. We were like, well then they proselytized. They were drawn by grace. God had a plan that Jesus Christ was going to be born and these women were part of that plan. And God brought them in. So there were physical Israelites and there were non-physical Israelites. People who weren't physical Israelites who were saved by grace. And they were all chosen by God, saved by grace through faith. And they were part of the elect. But chiefly, what Paul's referencing here were ethnic Jews who were chosen by God and given the gift of righteousness. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but uh, what about the rest of them? What about the 99.9965% of Israel in Elijah's time? What happened to them? The rest were hardened. Hmm. The rest were hardened. And this is so much like chapter 9. Some of you, and me too, might be having flashbacks to hearing about Pharaoh and vessels made for dishonorable use and thinking, No! We move past that. We had chapter 10 that talked about responsibility and a man's choice and we are much more comfortable with that. And I think Paul was mindful of that and wants to remind us that while chapter 10 is as true as truth gets, so is chapter 9. Man is responsible. Yes, no question about it. And God is sovereign. No question about it. The elect obtained righteousness as a gift of God's electing grace, but the rest were hardened. And we should say that with weeping. It's not arrogant, prideful. I'm elect and you're hardened. We should weep when we think of these hardened people. It's a horrendously sad and sobering statement. The elect were given the gift of God's righteousness, but the rest of Israel and also the rest of humanity that isn't the elect were hardened. Now what does that word hardened mean? Five times means to harden, three times and blind twice. To cover with a thick skin, to harden by covering with a callus, Metaphorically, to make the heart dull, to grow hard, callous, become dull. Lose the power of understanding. Again, we should read that definition with tears in our eyes. And I'm not. I'm not throwing rocks at you guys. The rest were made to have thick skin. The rest were calloused. The rest were made to have a dull heart. The rest grew hard and the rest lost the power of understanding. (laughs) They lost the ability to know what needs to be done to be right with God. Why? Because they were disobedient to the gospel. And they sought to establish their own righteousness. Now, note that I said they were hardened because of their disobedience. Why do I say that? Next verse. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Now this is where this passage gets really hard for me. This is a quote from Isaiah 29.10. And what I want to do is read Isaiah 29.9 and 10 so that you can see the context of it. Isaiah nine nine says, "...Astonish yourselves and be astonished. <laughs> blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers." Now that's the direct quote from Isaiah nine nine and 10. And then Paul pours, brings that into Romans 11 to talk about the nation of Israel. Now look back at 9 real quick. Look at this wording. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Now who does, who's that putting responsibility on? Astonish yourselves. Blind yourselves. Be drunk but not with wine. Stagger but not with strong drink. Why? For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes and covered your heads. I don't know about y'all, but that's tough stuff right there. Especially when brought into the context of Romans 11. Now we just made the statement at the end of verse 7 in Romans that unbelieving Israel was hardened because of their disobedience. I made that statement. It was not in the Scripture explicitly. It's what some people call judicial hardening getting the outcome of what you were doing because you deserved it. Now if we combine our passage in Romans with the passage in Isaiah and the next two verses that we'll look at will be from Psalms, when we combine all these things, we see that Israel did what they did and then they got what they deserved. They got the just results of what they did. We said back in Romans 9 that vessels were made for dishonorable use by God and that Pharaoh was hardened by God's doing and design. God said, for this purpose I raised you up. So my question here in thinking about Israel, was Israel just hardened because God chose to harden them? Or were they hardened because they disobeyed? And the answer is yes. You say it can't be both. It is. Israel was hardened because God chose to harden them and Israel was hardened because they disobeyed. God raised Pharaoh up for the purpose of hardening him and getting glory out of what happened after he was hardened. And it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So it's both and there. God raised him up to be hardened. He hardened himself and God hardened him. Now come back to the Romans Isaiah passage. Paul came out of verse 7 saying that the rest of Israel that was not the elect was hardened. And then he quotes the Isaiah passage which says, Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. And while Paul didn't quote that part of the passage, the context calls for it. And then Paul says that God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. So Paul is going to the result of what they chose to do. And what a result it is. In the same mindset of what he said in verse 7, they were hardened by, giving, by being given a spirit of stupor. They were given eyes that would not see. They were given ears that would not hear down to this very day. And that very day was in Isaiah's time and in Paul's time. And guess what? It continues to this very day. God gave them what they deserved. God gave them what they asked for. They wanted to establish their own righteousness so God made them blind to the true righteousness that could save them. And it continued then and it continues now. And not just for Israel but for all who are hardened and not trusting in the righteousness of Christ for their salvation. They wanted it. They pursued it. And God gave it to them. And they deserved it. And I know that inside of all of us, we're going, man, that doesn't feel like it's fair. Be careful. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. See another example of it. David says, and David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Hmm. So Paul has quoted Isaiah and now he quotes David. And this is from Psalm 69 verses 22 and 23. By the way, Paul blisters the Israelites with the Old Testament. I mean, tears them to pieces with it, and just basically says you can't have missed this. But he knows that they were dark and that they couldn't understand. We should know the Old Testament very well. It's a bonus application that we're not going to look at later. Paul references David from the Psalm where David is calling down God's wrath on David's enemies. Now, let me ask you a question: Who were David's enemies? <laughs> He surely had a lot of enemies over his life. Who was his first big enemy? No, 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 big. Goliath, big giant guy, nine foot some odd inches tall, mocked God, mocked Israel, and David said, Oh, no, this ain't going to happen, not on my watch. This guy's going down. So that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. And it says that David ran to the battle line. Let that one stone go and... So that was one of David's enemies. Who's his next enemy? King Saul. King Saul. We talked about Saul last week, right? A Benjamite, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. David must like picking on tall people. Amen. (laughs) When you're short, you start to like to pick on tall people. You don't have a choice, trust me. (laughs) Um, So King Saul was one of his enemies. So when David's calling down wrath on his enemies... Is he calling down wrath on King Saul? King Saul, king of the Israelites? Yeah. Another one of David's enemies was his own wife, Michal, Michael, whatever you want to pronounce it. She said that he embarrassed himself by dancing. And he said, all right, may you never bear children. Called down the wrath of God upon his own wife, who happened to be an Israelite. What about his son, Absalom? Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom, who wrested the kingdom from David, chased David out of town. David's running like a scared guy out of town from his own son. And so, David, here in Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23, calls down God's wrath upon all of his enemies, which include a Philistine, okay? We're all right with that. An outsider. King Saul, his own wife, and his son, who were all Israelites. And David said, send your wrath upon my enemies. Whoever my enemies may be, send your wrath. And he doesn't just say that. He's pretty specific about what he asks God to do to him. Anybody that would oppose him, any of his enemies, all who were after him or out to get him, all who were not in the favor of King David, and what does he ask God to do to them? Now, this is interesting. Very interesting, actually. Three things he mentions. He mentions their table, their eyes, and their backs. We'll work through it here. First, the table. Now, what do you think about when you think about somebody's table? Food. Food. Yeah, I mean, first of all, table is a good place. What does that mean? hashtag thingy that's going around? Life happens at the table, right? I'm so artsy. I'm so relevant to today's culture. <laughs> I just need some skinny... No. You don't deserve that, okay? <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> uh, is table a bad thing? No, table's not a bad thing. Table's a good thing. I like my table. We eat at the table. We hang out. We talk. We play games. We entertain family and guests there. And here David asks God to take this good thing, their table, place of comfort and joy and make it a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Now get a hold of that because it's pretty big. So they are lured into the comforts and joys of their table, and it springs on them, traps them, causes them to stumble, and it becomes a retribution to them. What's retribution mean? You get what you deserve. They are drawn in by comfort and pleasure, and it traps them. Oh, be careful, church in America. This hits me in the heart. They are drawn in by comfort and pleasure, and it traps them. And they are willing to sin to maintain it, and then they get punished, which is what retribution is, for their pleasure addiction. The table's not a bad thing. David said, Turn it into a trap for my enemies. So David's looking at his enemies and asking God to give them what they deserve their retribution by drawing them in with comfort, pleasure, food, and dare I say fun? Well, doesn't God want us to be happy and have fun? Yeah, He does. But I can tell you what real quick, it can become a trap. And then David echoes some of what Isaiah was saying when he calls for their eyes to be darkened, which we've already seen. No pun intended. It has already happened. So we've already talked about the eyes being dark. they their table, their eyes, and then what else? Their back. David calls for their backs to be bent. It's a picture of hard work, of burdens, of pain, and a life of bondage. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you lay heavy burdens on men's backs. And you don't lift a finger to help them carry you. And that's exactly what David asked to happen. Bend their backs. Let their table become a snare, a trap, and a retribution. Darken their eyes so that they cannot see. And bend their backs forever. Now this is what Paul's referencing when he's talking about ethnic Israel being hardened. And this is what happened to them. Their table became a snare and a trap and a retribution to them. Their eyes were darkened. Same thing Isaiah said. Their eyes were darkened. They got ears that they couldn't hear. And they bent their backs. God bent their backs forever. That's what happened to the hardened. Table, eyes and back. A terrible partnership of punishment. And getting what you deserve. And David asks God to do this to his enemies. And Paul says that is what happened to unbelieving Israel. And it's awful. Awful. And there's your passage for today. <laughs> Dang, Opal. Now, this could be a little weird feeling. I mean, right? Am I right? It can seem hard or maybe out of character for God. And I hope we have a hard time wrapping our mind around it. If we can just yawn this off, I'd say our troubles are deeper than we know. But what do we do with it? How do we process this? How do we apply it? Because that's the crux of the matter, right? First thing I want to do is I want to read these four verses together, because when we separate them out, it's easy to forget what was said in the overall picture. I just want to read these together so you see them again. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So the overall overall flow of these four verses is that God hardened unbelieving Israel and that the sins of unbelieving Israel were enough for David and Isaiah to ask God to punish them for those sins. And in God's plan, there is an elect remnant who obtained righteousness by faith in God's work, not in their own efforts. Those who rely on their own efforts get what they deserve. And it's not good at all. So, let's translate this, that, into how we should receive all of it. I've got two applications that are alliterated and the third one's not. So just... okay. The first application point is God gives saints what they don't deserve. God gives saints what they don't deserve. Now that was last week, really. Last week we talked about amazing grace and your grace finds me and your grace is enough. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. And it was grace and grace and grace and grace. And listen, you don't deserve that. But as saints, you have been given by God... As the elect of God, God has chosen you and given you what you don't deserve. And if we take that for granted, we miss the grace of God off the map. God gives saints what they don't deserve. Justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And God chooses an elect group of people to give them what they don't deserve, which is His righteousness. Scripture says that Jesus became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You don't deserve that. And you will never deserve that. But God gives it to you because of His grace. Listen, saved people. Don't get comfortable. Don't think that you deserve what God has given you. Rejoice in the fact that He has given you what you don't deserve. Because that's what grace is. And it should disarm us. It should put us on our face before a holy God who says, I have declared you righteous and we say, I don't deserve that. But thank you. God gives saints what they don't deserve. That's the first point. second point is much harder. It shouldn't be, but it is. God gives sinners what they do deserve. The first point was God gives saints what they don't deserve. The second point is God gives sinners what they do deserve. Now please, swallow this in. While grace is the best thing that no one could ever deserve, and it's amazing and wonderful and it's God's gift to the elect, those who aren't elect get the worst thing they could possibly get. They get what they deserve. And this is such a hard concept to wrestle with. Sinners deserve hardening. They deserve their table to become a snare and a trap. They deserve to have their eyes darkened and their backs bent. Now why do they deserve that? Because they are rebels against the person and the holiness of God. And God is holy and deserves praise and honor and glory from all creation. So if people dishonor Him, what do they deserve? They deserve wrath. They deserve punishment. They deserve hell. They deserve death. They deserve the grave. So my question is, do we bemoan that condition? Are we sad about that? I hope that we are sad over that. That there are hardened sinners who will receive the wrath of God. That there is a literal hell where people will suffer forever in pain and anguish because they have hardened themselves and because God has hardened them. That is terribly sad. And it should move us to evangelize. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You can't save anybody. God saves, but you do carry the gospel, which God uses to save people. It's not your responsibility to save men. But it is your responsibility to preach the gospel. Why? Because there are people who are dying and going to hell. Hell. And they deserve it. You think you deserve to not go to hell? So we should bemoan their condition. But not to the extent that we blame God or accuse Him of wrongdoing. We learned that back in chapter 9. And if you go all the way back to chapter 1, we see that God's wrath is poured out in the clearest way by letting men go their own way. And that's a horrid picture too. Look at Romans 1. Read verses 18 through 32. This was well over, well over a year ago. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Click, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped the serve, worship and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They know that they deserve to die if they do these things. And they not only do them, but they give approval to them. And they command you to celebrate it along with them. Moral of the story they did what they did at their own discretion and they got the wrath of God for doing it. And the wrath of God looks like letting them do what they do at their own discretion. And God's judicial hardening leads them to sin and destruction. And they deserve it. And so do I. And so do I. And so do you but God gives saints what they don't deserve and God gives sinners what they do deserve. That's hard, y'all. So that's the first two application points. The third application point is this, and we have got to get a hold of this. It's not alliterated, but it's simple. The third application point is God is holy. Holy. We, as the people of God, should certainly intercede on behalf of people and plead with people to be saved. But we should never forget that our chief concern is for the glory of God and His holiness. Now, if we're not careful, we drift into what happened to Elijah. And we think, well, we're the only ones left, God, and they're seeking to kill us too, and our rights, and... We, we need freedom of religion to function right in our country. And that becomes our chief concern and we get absorbed with ourselves. But our chief concern is for the glory of God and His holiness. Now listen to me. God does not need us to defend Him. But we are to look at the world through the lens of His holiness. God has a long history of punishing sin and sinners. Go back to the garden. People got what they deserved. Get out of here. You can't stay here. You got to go. They deserve that. Right? The flood in Noah's day. Justified. They deserved it. Now listen, everybody in the world, except eight people were killed. And it was justified. They deserved that. Everybody in the world, they deserved that. Sodom Gomorrah deserved the destruction that came their way. Egypt deserved the wrath of God through the plagues. The people of Canaan deserved to be destroyed for their sin when the Israelites took the land and Israel deserved judgment when Assyria and Babylon blew through that same promised land and wreaked havoc on the people of God. Because God is holy. And since God is holy, sin is as awful as we can possibly imagine. Oh, and we play with it. We toy with it. We treasure it. We hide it so that nobody else can see it. We go on private browsers so that our actions aren't tracked on the Internet. And then we move along. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship His holy Because God is holy, sin is as awful as we can possibly imagine. Sin is a direct assault on the holiness of God Himself. Sin is a declaration that the glory of God is less important than what we want or desire. And listen to what I'm about to say. And a holy God has the only right to prescribe wrath and judgment on sin and sinners. And He is right in doing it. And they deserve it because God is holy. We need to understand what holiness is. We need to understand who holiness is. We need to get a picture of God as the bright, shining holiness that is far above anything that we could think or imagine. And when we see our sin, when we see the sin of the world, we say, you are right and just oh God, to pour your wrath out upon this sin. We deserve it. And then when we see that we've been adopted by grace, chosen by grace, elected by grace, that we get what we don't deserve, which is heaven and God Himself and righteousness and peace and joy and the promise of forever with Him, where we will forever worship His holy name, it makes it all all that much more amazing that I could look at a holy God and know who I am and know what I deserve and know that He has not given me what I deserve. He has given me what I do not deserve. I don't know this and I I hesitate to say it, but I believe we will be able to see hell in heaven. And I believe we will worship God for hell in heaven. Because it vindicates His holiness. It vindicates His righteousness. And He is just and right to punish sin and to punish sinners. You say, well, you don't know that preacher. I I, I said that. I don't know. The holiness of God demands retribution for those who violate it. What a miracle. What a miracle it is that He would show grace to anyone. And we're quick to say, why doesn't God save everybody? I said it last week. The better question is, why does He save anybody? But He does amazingly. And as He vindicates His holiness by His wrath, it magnifies the miracle of His grace. And we'll talk more about that through the rest of chapter 11. Why did God do this? He's not stupid. He's not doing things haphazardly, willy-nilly up in heaven. Well, let's harden some people. Let's... He's got a point in it. As He vindicates His holiness by His wrath, it magnifies the miracle of His grace. And as the people of God, we see His hardening and His wrath, and we tremble, and we weep, and we celebrate the perfection of His holiness. And we celebrate getting what we don't deserve. And we put our hands on our mouths when others get what they do deserve. And God is holy. Holy through it all. Let me pray. God, sometimes we close the book and we're so happy, and that's good. Sometimes we close the book and we're just shaking our head in amazement at how good you are, and that's good. Today, God, we close the book and it hurts. And that's good. God, I'm not comfortable celebrating your wrath. I'm just not. And maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. But I am comfortable praising you for your holiness. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see God what your holiness truly is all about and that we would be in awe of your holiness that we would know that we could never obtain that holiness ourselves and may we be in awe that you have chosen to give us the very righteousness of God through Christ and God as we look at a world that is increasingly hard a world that is increasingly being hardened. God, may we weep for people. May we preach the gospel. May there be a sense of urgency in us. But may may we never accuse you of wrongdoing as hardened sinners get what they deserve. God, that's hard. All I can ask you to do is to take it and use it for your glory in our lives. May we never accuse you of wrongdoing, God. And may you get glory in our lives as we celebrate receiving what we don't deserve. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.